Hello, I am Donna Freeman, the founder of Yoga in My School, and this is the Yoga in My School podcast. I appreciate you coming and having a listen. Thank you for your likes, your shares, your comments, and your ratings. It truly is a blessing as it helps others to find us. The purpose of the Yoga in My School podcast is to empower you to share yoga and mindfulness with youth. Through the archives and this episode in particular, I know that you will receive inspiration, knowledge, and tools to help you do so. We also are big fans of building community, and we love finding people who are doing amazing things in the kids' yoga community worldwide. So if you know of someone, or maybe you are someone, who are doing something incredible and you'd like to share it, feel free to reach out. You can email me, Donna, at yoganmyschool.com with ideas for upcoming episodes. Appreciate you listening. Have a wonderful day, and enjoy this episode this computer. Hello, everybody. My name is Donna Freeman, and this is the Yoga in My School podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It is a delight, and we're just launching our 2021 season, as it were, and we're starting off with a bang this year because um, we're, you know, things are kind of different in the world, and it's caused many people to reevaluate things, caused us to kind of sit back and check in with, um, I don't know, things like insurance and legal matters am I covered for this does this get is included like well, people have questions and um, they're interesting questions that have never come up before I think especially in the area of um, legalities and yoga practice and kids yoga with legalities these kind of things so uh, today, our guest is Corey Sterling. He is uh, with Conscious Council, and he has all kinds of amazing insights, and we're going to pick his brain about uh, some of the legal matters that are pressing. I've sent out a couple of requests to people just asking, hey, if you could sit down with a lawyer, <laughs> what questions would you ask? And people came up with some really good ones. So we're going to be throwing these questions at Corey and asking for his um his advice, his input, um, and ways that we can protect ourselves and protect our, our clients and our patrons. Um, so thank you for being here, Corey. I really appreciate it. Donna, what a treat. And also good to know that people actually would want to sit down with a lawyer. That's comforting to hear. <laughs> yeah. We could get into all kinds of lawyer jokes, but we'll, we will refrain. <laughs> we might throw a couple I'll of- them. You have you have free license for all the lawyer jokes that you want. <laughs> awesome. So if anybody's watching, um, they might notice uh, the beautiful background that Corey's got going on. Um, Corey, can you tell us where you're joining us from today? I'm very envious. I'm in a small beach town called Caraiva in the south part of the state of Bahia in Brazil. And I've been living in Brazil for a year and a half almost, um, operating my practice online and enjoying life from a beautiful perspective that I love. So yes. that's where Fabulous. And before we went live with the recording here, I showed him outside um, where I am, which is in Edmonton, Canada. It is January, people, in Edmonton, Canada. It's currently minus 22 Celsius, just after a major blizzard. Yeah. So where would you rather be? <laughs> just questions, inquiring minds want to know. All right, Corey, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. So how did you, because this is kind of interesting that um, I was telling people uh, that I was interviewing you today, 
And I was saying, yeah, I mean, to be a lawyer, they're like, oh, how cool. And, um, and then I said that you're in Brazil. And they're like, say what? Like you're interviewing a Brazilian lawyer? So tell us kind of how you got to be sitting on a beach in Bahia, Brazil. I, I started my online legal practice three years ago. So I used to work, I worked at a couple of law firms in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I wasn't really happy with the experience of being a lawyer. And what I observed around me was a lot of really intelligent, qualified, hardworking people who were pretty miserable with the work that they were doing as lawyers. And I just, I, I put in such an effort through law school and through all of the work that I had done for various law firms that I was like, look, travel's always been the thing that I love. So I might as well just try to start my own firm and to travel at the same time as I do it. And I left on a flight to Copenhagen. I had like $2,000 in the bank. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to find a way to only offer services that I can offer online. At that time, it was just me. Now we're seven people with conscious counsel. But, um, but I was like, okay, well, worst comes to worst. I go travel and do this online. And if all of my clients are like, no, Corey, we no longer want to work with you. Then I have a little bit of money that I can use. And then I'll buy a flight back. And that was about three and a half years ago. And thankfully, I'm still traveling, which is really cool. And yeah, and, and sort of the first year was um, Europe and the Middle East. The second year was India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, um, and parts of Asia. And the third year was South America. And like, I always loved going to new countries, seeing new places. And I, I never, ever had an inclination to stop. And then I found this one town where I still am that felt different than everything else. And I was like, cool, maybe I'll hang out here for a bit. And that's how I got here. Nice. All right. I love that. I love the, the circuitous route of it and then just being open to the opportunities as they arrive and really following your heart. That's beautiful. Um, so tell us a little bit about the principles behind Conscious Counsel because, and, and the type of services that you offer um, for people if they're, if they're interested in and, and require a lawyer. Yeah, I, I wrote a book in the second year of my legal practice. I wrote a book called The Yoga Law Book legal essentials for yoga professionals. And at the time that I was writing that, the majority of clients for Conscious Counsel were yoga professionals. We've sort of expanded to more health and wellness entrepreneurs and small business owners since then. But at the time I was running a yoga festival in Ontario called Muskoka Yoga Festival. And like, I was just doing so much in the, the yoga profession. And I saw that there was such a need for people to understand the law, but that no one, no one really wanted to talk to a lawyer or work with a lawyer and no one really understood, you know, they didn't know what they didn't know about the law. So I wrote the, when I wrote the book, it was like, I shared stories of experiences I went through with clients, whether it was, you know, running a yoga teacher training or running retreats or, you know, the first story where I realized that yogis really needed waivers of liability, but didn't understand their, their exposure to risk. And, um, and yeah, and that's sort of been the catalyst for the legal practice, doing a lot of work with yoga professionals all over the world and health and wellness. And the reason why is like, you know, I, I, I did my yoga teacher certification. I've taught yoga many times. I organized this festival. It's very near and dear to my heart. And it's something I'm passionate about making law accessible, educating clients, but way more importantly than just like making it simple and easy to work with a lawyer because it's something that so many people put off. And we've actually distilled all of our systems to like receiving a link, taking 13 minutes to answer a bunch of questions. And then it's like, okay, this is going to protect you for 99.99% of the things that you'll deal with in your yoga business. So 
trying to make law fun, making it light and, and trying to make it empowering is sort of our ethos. Yeah, I love that. I, that whole accessibility to the law. Because like you say, we don't know what we don't know. Like we just, we have this love of yoga, of mindfulness, of sharing it. And so we dive into that. And then you're like, oh, waivers? <laughs> like, hang on. Uh, is there a template for that? <laughs> right? So it's, it's more like, oh, let me just download a free template from the internet for that, which is, that's the, the consumer behavior. Right. And so can you give us a couple of tips? Like if I, you know, I've, I've run trainings and retreats and done all this. I've been in the yoga community for 20 some odd years. Um, so I've worked through some of this, but it would have been so helpful as a new newbie in the yoga world coming into teaching and that kind of stuff. What, what am I looking for in writing a waiver that's going to really protect me Okay, ideally, to, to put it straight, you're looking for a professional to draft a waiver for you, right? It's sort of like someone who's never practiced yoga at all and has no experience practicing, you know, going into some really technical poses or something very difficult or trying to do handstands or whatever it is, like just with no experience and without a teacher, right? So it's like a yoga, a, a new yoga teacher who doesn't know anything about the law trying to write a, write a waiver of liability is it, that's not a great start. Um, and, and it's, it's also just because like, yeah, well, I think what, what a lot of, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take one minute to explain sort of how the actual legal process works in resolving issues and why it's important to have great documents. So something happens, you run a retreat, you run a teacher training, uh, you, you run classes, there's some sort of issue that evolves. So someone then either hires a lawyer to send you a, a a complaint or a demand letter, or they're going to email you directly and either ask for a refund or tell you that they, they're owed these damages, or there maybe there's someone who works for you or your studio and you classify them as a contractor, but they want to file for unemployment insurance. So they're going to allege that they were employees. When you don't have documents to support you in that particular instance, the issue gets dragged out and it becomes very expensive. And then you have to hire a lawyer to put out a fire for you, which costs more than having proper documents in place in the first in the in the first place. And like even if you talk about waivers and like and running a retreat, like I, I've been through all of this and I've been hired to draft waivers for clients and I've been hired to challenge waivers for clients. So I know what you know. I can pick apart a bad waiver very very quickly and very easily. And yeah, and, and so, but I do, I want to give value, valuable and practical information. So I will, but every, just the caveat for what I would share is like have a professional draft a waiver of liability. It's like the, the same way if, if you know, you're a, prof, you're a professional yoga teacher, if you want your students to grow and progress in their asana practice or whatever it is, that they should be working with a professional as well to help them take, the, uh, to take them there. So that, that being said, the big things that you want to look for in your waiver of liability is that it accurately describes the activities of what you're doing and what the risks of those activities are. So an example of a waiver that's like not good is like, oh, you will be doing yoga with us, right? That's it. You'll be doing yoga and you do not hold us responsible for anything that happens. That's like if, if someone got injured and they hired me to challenge that waiver, I could do so easily. What you want to do is make sure that you're adequately describing the risks, describing the specific activities. If you're using equipment, what equipment is going to be involved? Like, let's say as an example, um, you're using something like straps, right? 
which on its face is not a, an extremely dangerous activity whatsoever. But let's say I sign a waiver that says, okay, we're going to be doing yoga together. And then suddenly there's something with a strap and I'm doing something, right? And I get injured using the strap. The whole, the whole idea behind a waiver of liability is someone is releasing you from legal responsibility because you clearly told them what activities they would be doing and what the risks of those activities were. And if you don't adequately describe the specifics of the activities, then they have you know, a little window where they can challenge and say, well, you didn't say anything about straps or blocks or whatever it is. Um, and as such, I suffered an injury as a result of using that equipment that you didn't tell me about. Therefore, the waiver of liability should not apply. There you go. All right. So we are now into the world of many places can't offer in-person yoga classes. Yeah. And we're into online yoga classes. Okay. So a lot of people have questions about can they use the same waiver for an online class as an in-person class? Okay, so just, just to revisit the overarching principles of a waiver of liability, you have to describe the activities and the risks. And the activity of practicing in person versus practicing online, those are two separate activities. And the risks are also different because if you're practicing online, likely A, as the teacher, you're not able to monitor the space to ensure that it's safe. Um, and B, you're not able to provide the same type of adjustments or corrections or observation if someone's doing something. So um, the waiver should adequately describe that. And then even like the next level to that, and I hate to use, you know, I hate to talk about COVID, but it's a reality of, of how we're practicing. Now I have, I have lots of clients in North America who are opening back up and offering services in person again. And like, there's a communicable disease that's going around that, that needs to be communicated and expressed in the waiver of liability because the whole idea is that you're, um, the whole idea is that you're telling people exactly what you're doing and what the risks of that are. And mm -hmm. in, in any area where you, where you do not address a relevant risk, then your, your exposure to liability increases. Interesting. That's, that's really good advice. I appreciate that. So everybody who is reopening in COVID, whether you're online and or back in person, we need to revisit. If you have a waiver, you need to revisit that and update it for sure. Yeah, and I, ideally what you do with the waiver is you just have it apply for all of the variants, all the different ways that you're going to be offering your services. So online, um, if it's evergreen content, like you've got an on-demand library for your studio for yourself, that's, mm -hmm. like, that's also a different activity than you teaching a class on Zoom um, and then in person and the relevant provisions for in person have to deal with COVID. Yeah. So that brings us kind of to the next one. And this comes up a lot because I know it's come up with my insurance coverage and they have this kind of caveat that they will cover online classes as long as it is live being live taught so that me and the people are there, um, but they won't cover recorded, like you say that evergreen content, nor will they cover Facebook or Instagram live where you don't have control over who might be joining you and you can't see them. And so yeah. there's these, these I, kind of, I like to call them sticky wickets because, you know, thank you, British background, um, <laughs> um, about uh, the insurance coverage. And like, is there a way, like, do you just follow what your insurance insures you for? Is there a way to negotiate that? How, or how can we navigate this and protect ourselves? 
Yeah, well, the first thing you want to do is understand specifically what your policy covers you for or not. So it's, it's really easy, actually. You just write down on a piece of paper. I'm like, there's nothing legal to this because I don't do anything with insurance. But um, you just write down on a piece of paper all of the activities you do and how you offer those activities. And then you call your insurance broker, whoever you have your policy with, and let them know, hey, like I do this and I do that and I do this. And just make sure that you're covered for all the things that you're doing. And then I always see insurance and law working together mm-hmm. in tandem. So for example, like something that we drafted at Conscious Council is called an online disclaimer, which it's not as good as a waiver of liability, but that helps cover people for Facebook Live or Instagram Live or where there might be some sort of gaps in co- coverage or protection. Okay, fabulous. Thank you. Like this is a big question. Lots of people are coming up with these questions right now. They're like, I don't know what I can do. What am I able to do and how can I offer it? And there's lots of creativity out there, but um, it really comes down. Like I like how you say uh, your insurance and the law need to work hand in hand. And so making sure that you have the coverage and, and then giving that waiver, um, you know, the disclaimer is really important. Yeah. And just like the waiver of liability is the most important. That's the foundation for the highest degree of, exposure to risk. Okay, so a lot of the people who, or um, I know that many people who listen to this uh, teach in schools, okay? Do people need to have every child sign? Can a school sign for like the whole class? Like how do how does your waiver work when you're working in a school situation? It's a, it's a little tricky because technically, at least in, in Canada, but also in, in North America, there's something called age of majority. And only when uh, someone reaches age of majority can they legal can they legally sign an agreement and like that the agreement actually has efficacy because they're either 18 or 19 or what you know whatever the age is based on the jurisdiction. So the tricky things with minors is that like even though they sign things, it isn't always enforceable. So you want like and look the whole thing that we practice at Conscious Council is open and honest communication. So the point of the document is to be really straightforward with someone so that in the event something happens, at a minimum, you can say like, hey, like we told you, this is what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. So I don't, I don't know. The, the question is if the school can sign for the kids, I doubt it because they would technically need a power of attorney. And maybe if it's a private school, they sign that away, but I don't really see that happening. So ideally you would have the student sign it and the guardian of the of the student, the legal guardian sign it. And that's sort of like the best you're going to do and, and the best you're going to get. But something that's also really helpful, if you have a service agreement with a school, put in something that's called an indemnity provision, which basically means like the school will accept any liability that falls upon you for teaching the class. Yeah. Perfect. Great. I knew that answer for me, but I just wanted to clarify it for other people, right? And, and, I, and I love the fact, you know, like you say, when you get hired, usually on a school board level, then you have to usually provide all kinds of documentation to prove who you are and that you're qualified to be offering that service, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, that those are, these are important things that a lot of people don't think about when they're like, oh, I just went into my kid's class and I offered yoga. It's like, you did what? <laughs> yeah, everything around children and the law is more sensitive for logical reasons. Yes. All right. Um, 
Now I'm going to move into uh, in it, oh, before we kind of leave completely this um, online offering idea. Do you have any legal tips for us other than you know just making sure that your insurance covers you? Like what do you have any legal tips for now that we are so much into an online offering world? Um, how can people protect themselves? You should have you should have a, a really a properly drafted privacy policy. Um, because that's one of the biggest issues that we've seen um, yoga professionals being at risk for. So the whole thing is like, I just explained law as being a series of relationships. And then as our relationships change and the way that we interact with our clients is changing, we need to make sure that the legal documents catch up to that and, and capture the essence of the relationship we're trying to have. So a privacy policy is like, you have to understand at law, you, you are obligated to be compliant with rules when you are accepting um, personal information about someone, or if, if you're sharing someone's personal information with someone like, i.e., if, if people are paying through your website now, at law, you have, to you have to have a privacy policy where you link the whatever service you're using to, to capture payment, you have to link a copy of their privacy policy because you're serving as a conduit or you know a middle person to someone getting information. So I think like having a really good privacy policy is important. The other thing also is just making sure in the service agreements that you have, especially if you're a studio, outlining in the service agreement that like the services will be offered in person and or online. Um, and just like, yeah, the relationships are changing the way that we offer our services are changing. So our legal agreements should be the latest version of the way that we offer our services. Fantastic. I love that. And I love the idea that you're just kind of, you, you don't just draft a waiver once and leave it and walk away. Yay, that's done. Check forever. <laughs> I never have to revisit my waivers. Um, yeah, I, ideally, and ideally you just have a waiver that captures all the different ways that you do it. And then, yeah, then you don't have to do it once, but like, so long as you continue to only offer activities in that particular way, then you'd be covered. So, and I know there's one um, lovely thing about the services that you offer, and you talk about like real language in waivers. <laughs> can, yeah. Can you kind of explain that? Like some of the, you know, how to write a waiver so that it is not legalese and people are going, I don't even understand what this says. Yeah. The, the general rule we have at Conscious Council is that a seven-year-old should be able to understand all of the agreements that we have. And that's just because like, I spent so much time when I worked at other places in agreements that I was just like, there's a better way to say this. And like, no one actually really talks like this. Right. So, um, so yeah, one thing that we really strive for is just super clear, simple, basic, straightforward. It's like, Hey, what are we doing? What's going on here? This is what we're doing. These are the repercussions or implications of this relationship. And we both understand that it's legally binding and yeah, just trying, like just trying to make it more human because no one talks like that as, some agreements are written. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was looking through some documents the other day going, what are they actually saying? <laughs> Come yeah, on, people just say it. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Okay. Um, so another question that's come up is about intellectual property. And there's um, two things that people have kind of brought up with intellectual property. Uh, the first one we're going to dive into is non-compete clauses. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, and especially, so we're going to get non-compete clauses and then non-compete compete clauses now that we're in a virtual world. Right? Cool. You have 
Okay. <laughs> not not necessarily in intellectual in the uh, under the intellectual property umbrella. It yeah. would only be it would only be intellectual properties like the protection of ideas mm-hmm. or you know or words or logos or something that's written. Non-compete yeah. really non-compete falls more into the employee contractor distinction. And mm-hmm. the question is to what degree can either you know can an employer or someone who's paying a contractor restrict that person's ability to go off and offer their services somewhere else and to someone else. And the, the one thing I'm, I'm happy to share about the law and the, and the rationale and the policy behind the law around this, but the thing to know is that if you, and this is like why I think the documents are so important is because it never really gets to the point of like someone going to small claims court and actually enforcing a non-compete provision. It's never, it's almost never going to go there. In four years of doing this, I've never once had a client who had a non-compete that the situation escalated so far that it was heard in front of a, an adjudicator or a mediator or something like that. So that being said, it's all about relationship management and it's all about being super clear on expectations before you start working with someone of what you think is fair and, and, and how you feel your business should be protected. But to, to answer it specifically, so the whole idea is you, if you are, if you operate a business and someone is working for you, clients often want to put in non-compete provisions, which say like, Hey, if you're teaching at our studio, you're not going to teach at any other studios. Now your whole question about how does this apply online? It's different because one of the elements for a non-compete is always geographic distance. So before everything was done online, it would be like, okay, you know, you can't teach at another studio for six months. Uh, in a, you know, four kilometers from where our studio is located at this particular area, or like within the boundaries of greater Edmonton area. Is there a greater Edmonton area? There is. Yeah, I took a guess at that one. Um, so, so now a, it's changed because G, with internet, you can't like control the IP address for where, right? So it's, it's very difficult to do. So the first practical thing I would say is like, make sure you're working with the right people. And before you start working with them, make sure they understand what you're expecting from them in the relationship. So yeah, w- once you realize that like, yeah, you can put in a non-compete, but it'll, it'll be difficult to enforce. Why will it be difficult to enforce? Firstly, if someone, if you're hiring someone as an independent contractor, the idea is that they run their own business. So it's counterintuitive and it goes against the policy of an independent contractor agreement to be like, oh, like, well, you have your own business, but you, even though we're paying you four hours a week, you can only work with us. Yeah. Like never, it'll, it'll never stand. And also with employees, it's difficult because government will almost always side with an individual's liberty and ability to support themselves through their vocation. So if you're trying to restrict someone from doing that, you can, but usually it's like they're a full-time employee and it's, there's a lot of expertise in the area of where they're working and they're compensated fairly. But if you have an employee who works, you know, eight hours a week for you and you're trying to say like, oh, you are a yoga teacher, but you can't do that with anyone else. It's very, very difficult to actually apply it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Now, so if you're hearing the high pitched or the, the humming in the background, it's just snow clearing outside the window here. <laughs> oh my God, so. But I feel like the sun's coming out because it's it's brighter now than how it was brighter. before. Yeah, we started in the dark and now it's daylight, right? So it's, it's dark. At, it's dark at 8 a.m. here, but by 8.30, it's light. Okay, <laughs> cool. love it. <laughs> 
all the fun things. Um, yeah, so I really appreciate that. And like you say, um, now that we're in um, online, there isn't that geographic area anymore. Like you can access it from anywhere. So, but um, anyway, that's a, a really interesting um, thing to have, to have to negotiate. And I, I, I like how you say, um, people need to make a living. And in now, in, in today's world, that trumps a lot of things, is putting food on the table and paying your mortgage. Yeah, and, and like the other thing I'd say is, from a practical stance, you'd be way better to make sure you're hiring the right people than trying to enforce a non-compete agreement. Like it. All right. Um, so um, now getting into trademarks. Okay. That's intellectual property. That's intellectual property. Okay. So I'll tell a little bit of my story because um, trademarks are really interesting. Um, so in like yoga in my school is my company. It has been for a very long time. If you happen to search yoga in my school, I will pop up. <laughs> right. And so that's fairly obvious. And then I had people in my geographic area using that term on their websites, never anywhere else, but like in my town <laughs> using my trade name. And so I had to actually, I, I took it upon myself and trademarked my name just to protect so that I had legal standing, not just, you know, I've been around for nine years. What are you doing? Kind of thing. Um, but so that I could actually go to them and say, no, this is, this is a trademark and you need to remove it from your website. Um, so that was my experience working with trademarks. What kind of advice can you give us? Like, when should we think about getting a trademark? Is it important? Um, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would say it's, it's really important. The thing to know about the nature of trademarks is that when you register the mark, it gives you A, the best priority. So in that situation that you're describing of someone else using it, when you have the trademark, it's like the gold standard. No one really has any rebuttal to that. And then it also provides you with, it, it also, so a second. I'm, sorry, I have friends here. Um, <laughs> so, um, so the, the thing is that it gives you exclusive use. So exclusive use means that you're the only one who's allowed to use it, but it also gives you enforceable rights. And some of those rights can be like, you know, legally being able to send a cease and desist letter and demand that someone takes, takes the mark down or stops using it. So the real risk that you run is like by not registering the trademark, someone else can then go and register that trademark and they can use those rights against you. So that's why it's really important to it. And, and I would say like, when is the time to register? When you know that you have a, a business name that you're sticking with, like, okay, this is my brand. Because when you're starting a business, there's that whole evolution in the beginning phases where you're like, oh, like, is this going to be my name or am I going to change it? Or is it going to be this or whatever? But like the moment you know what you're working with and that you're staying with that and you start building everything around it, that's the time to register the trademark because the risk that you run is by not registering it, that you, you open the door, you're spending all this time and this money on your branding, on your website, on your newsletters, on whatever it is that you're doing. <laughs> and then you're susceptible to someone being like, Hey, actually you're not allowed to use this anymore. And then, and I've been through that, that journey with clients. Which sucks. Nothing good. About it. 
Yeah, and a very good friend of mine, what precipitated me um, finding Trademark was a very good friend of mine. That's exactly what happened to her. She had an, a number of apps and an entire business and this whole thing and a name and an identity and had been working for years and someone else trademarked her name and yeah. then sent her a cease and desist letter. And she was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, I like this is my presence. And this other person didn't have any presence, but they had a trademark. And so she had to change everything. And yeah, how the way that it works is you can actually challenge that trademark. If if before it gets finalized, you can while it's in the process of being registered, you can claim that you had prior use. But the two things that you have to know is like, A, if you're going to do that, it's going to be three times more expensive than the mark itself. And then B, once you successfully challenge it, you then have to register, you then have to go ahead and register it again. So like, you might as well just do it from the start. Yeah, yeah. so once you know what you're gonna be called, because I've seen a lot of people evolve, as you say, right? They start in one place and then they evolve. Uh, do you have any advice for like picking a business name? No, <laughs> I have no advice whatsoever for that. It's like, no, no, not going there. Leave that alone. I'm not part of that. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Do you have any last advice for um, yoga teachers in general, how we can protect ourselves, protect our clients? Like we want everyone to have this lovely relationship in the yoga space. Yeah. Yeah, and and most pe most people do have that lovely relationship, and part of why I built a legal practice around working with yoga professionals is because a lot of my friends are yoga professionals, and I love working with these types of people. That being said, the the one piece of advice I would say is change the mindset or have a paradigm shift about treating your yoga business as a business. And the reality is, if you operate a small business you're going to need an accountant and you're going to need a lawyer. And like, that's just, it's like, there's no other, there's no industry that is immune to that. Mm -hmm. Like what, no matter what it is that you're doing, this is sort of, it's the cost of doing business and it's the part of professionalization. And the one piece of advice I would just say is like the ones who are proactive and in control of their legal documents and their relationships never have to think about the law and really don't have to worry about it. But it's that situation where, okay, I've gone a year, I've gone two years. I, don't have anything in order. And then it's just like, then it strikes and you get the cease and desist letter or someone makes a complaint and then it's just not fun and it's way more expensive afterwards. So yeah, just, you know, sort of like let's professionalize together. Let's, I want everyone to have a healthy business so they can serve their communities. And that's part of the mission of uh, why we do what we do. Fantastic. Love it. Yeah. So take the time. Go talk to a lawyer, talk to Corey or one of his cohorts. Yeah. They're lovely people. <laughs> Cool. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Talk to an accountant. <laughs> Talk to an accountant. And I hope that will be as fun for you. <laughs> I also work in an accounting office. It's lots of fun. <laughs> I know all about the money I believe side. you. I believe you. <laughs> sure. All right. Yeah. So these are a lot of things, you know, we all want to share the goodness of our heart, the love, the joy, the benefits of these practices of mindfulness, of, of movement, uh, but protect yourself and and be really upfront with what you're offering right is what i'm hearing and and yeah. i think that is the message for everybody perfect awesome well thank you for joining us and thank you for speaking some portuguese it does my my heart good <laughs> to throw that in there do, do you remember anything from your time from your I falo um pouco de português. Não muito. Você pode falar muito bom. Gosto oh, de isso. 
Que bom, parabéns. <laughs> and it's lovely to hear. It's wonderful that you can enjoy the sunshine. I will be continuing to be jealous, but I will enjoy the snow. <laughs> yeah, enjoy the snow too. I would love to be there for three minutes. Like it would be... <laughs> Exactly. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the Yoga in My School podcast. We've got some amazing episodes coming up over the next little while. We're going to talk about trends in the kids' yoga world. We're going to be looking at trauma-informed yoga and looking at um, the other one that we have on tap coming up is um, mental health for teenagers and especially looking at the COVID world and all the challenges that teens are going through right now, which are kind of exacerbated by current circumstances. So that's a, that's a few things that you can look forward to in the upcoming episodes. We really appreciate Corey joining us today and love, love technology that we can connect from all the way from snowy Canada to sunny Brazil. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Namaste. Ciao. Thanks for having me. Ciao. <laughs>